We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Please be seated. Good evening. Alleluia. Christ is risen. Well, it's wonderful to proclaim that Paschal greeting tonight. I'm not sure how you all feel, but Lent seemed extra long to me this year, especially the last two weeks. And I've been eagerly awaiting for the joy that comes with this night. In the words of David Crosby, it's been a long time coming. Now, my sermon tonight has also been a long time coming. I asked Lily, my four-year-old daughter, I said, Lily, how long is a long time? And she said, a long time is like all day and maybe all night. And she's not wrong, but maybe a long time's a little longer than that. So tonight is my first time preaching the Great Vigil. And it's been four years in the making. You see, four years ago, when Father Scott started as our rector on April 1st, he had about two weeks to prepare for Easter, which is like having a handful of days. He asked me to preach at the Great Vigil, and I accepted. However, less than a week out, I came down with a case of shingles, so I was sidelined. Now, he hasn't asked me in the three years since. So I began thinking that I had blown my opportunity to preach at this service. But this year, he decided to give me another, Scott, another shot. So thank you, Father Scott, for another chance to preach the vigil. We'll try that. We'll try that. Now, I was very excited when he first asked me to preach tonight. I immediately started thinking of all the points that I could make, the connection between all the readings, uh, especially related to the events of Christ's death and resurrection. I had some pretty big plans. But as soon as I accepted and began to think of all those plans and all those points, he followed up and said, we have six baptisms, so keep your sermon to 10 minutes. (laughs) I said, what can I do with 10 minutes? And I've already spent two of them, so we need to keep going. Now, uh, in the spirit of that, uh, but also to, to keep the focus on what it should be, I've only got two points to make tonight, and it's really, I think, one and a half. But my first point is this, God's love wins. And my second point is that the application of what follows my sermon is really what it's all about, and that's the sacrament of holy baptism. So let's begin. With the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, love has won the war. Many battles were lost along the way. Ancient history and current events attest to those losses. But the final word on the power of evil and death has been given. In Jesus, God's love has conquered all. Now, in reality, God's love has been conquering all along. That's what all of our readings about God's saving acts highlight. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God did not leave humanity helpless and without hope. 
No, he promised that one from Eve would come and have his heel bruised, but he would bruise the head of the serpent, the evil one. When the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and the intentions and thoughts of his heart was only evil continually, he did not leave humanity without hope. No, he looked upon Noah, a righteous man, blameless in his generation. He would save him and seven others through the waters of the flood. More on that to come. So that humanity would not be completely destroyed. When the Lord tested Abraham and there seemed to be no other sacrifice other than his only son, Abraham rightly responded to Isaac's question about a missing lamb when he said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. When the newly freed Hebrew slaves were pinned against the sea and Pharaoh's army facing certain death, they rightly saw that there was no way out. But God had Moses stretch out his hand to part the sea so that they could come through safely. A second act of salvation through the water. More on that to come. When the prophet Isaiah foretold of the judgment of Israel, Jerusalem, Judah, and all nations early on in his account, it seemed like there was little hope for anyone. Jew and Gentile alike would face God's judgment. But God is ever merciful and compassionate. Thus Isaiah could proclaim with confidence that those who might seek the Lord and forsake their evil ways and thoughts would receive his compassion and pardon. When Israel was carried away into captivity and when hearts would be worn down and expectations of deliverance virtually non-existent, Ezekiel gave God's people assurance of a day of restoration and a day when they would return to the land promised to them. Even more, the day would come when God would give his people a new heart, a heart of flesh to replace a heart of stone, and he would give them his own spirit to dwell within so that obedience to his statutes would be possible. When three young men kept the faith and stood for righteousness and believing loyalty in the face of the most powerful empire at the time, they were not abandoned. They were not left alone. No fire could burn or even singe them. More than being abandoned, one like a son of the gods was with them in the furnace. What could these accounts of God's provision, protection, presence and redemption tell us of course we can think of many things but tonight one thing stands out God's love for his creation wins evil does not get the last word as we consider God's act of redeeming the world we must consider that his love poured out for us came at a profound cost C.S. Lewis observed it costs God nothing so far as we know to create nice things but to convert rebellious wills cost him crucifixion. The salvation of the world, our salvation, required nothing less than the death of the Son of God. When the train wreck of humanity and all the powers of evil did its worst to our Lord on the cross, it didn't work. Christ triumphed over all of it and made a spectacle of it in the process. In fact, it's even better than that. Not only can we see Jesus' resurrection as the victory over sin, death, and hell, but his very death and descent into hell is a victorious act. 
death seemed to win. But upon Jesus' death and descent into Hades, the victory was already assured. Preaching around 400 AD in Constantinople, we call that Istanbul today, St. John Chrysostom, at, his, at the Easter homily he celebrated and preached at, he proclaimed, let no one fear death, for the death of our Savior has set us free. He has destroyed it by enduring it. He destroyed hell when he descended into it. He put it into an uproar even as it tasted of his flesh. Isaiah foretold this when he said, you, O hell, have been troubled by encountering him below. Hell was in an uproar because it was done away with. It was in an uproar because it is mocked. It was in an uproar for it is destroyed. It is in an uproar for it is annihilated. It is in an uproar for it is now made captive. Hell took a body and discovered God. It took earth and encountered heaven. It took what it saw and was overcome by what it did not see. O death, where is thy sting? O hell, where is thy victory? Christ is risen and you, O death, are annihilated. Christ is risen and the evil ones are cast down. Christ is risen and the angels rejoice. Christ is risen and life is liberated. Christ is risen and the tomb is emptied of its dead. For Christ, having risen from the dead, is become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Hell took a body and discovered God. It took earth and encountered heaven. So let's think about application for a moment. What is our takeaway from being told that through death and resurrection, Jesus, God's love, has won the victory over sin, death, and the powers of hell? I would submit to you that just as the point earlier made is rather simple yet full of many implications, so is the application. Our takeaway is that we go and make Christians. All of us gathered here tonight, we contribute to bringing people into relationship with Jesus through the faith that is expressed in the sacrament of holy baptism. In short, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we make Christians through the sacrament of holy baptism. This is what Jesus commissioned his apostles to do just before his ascension to heaven, and it's what the church has been doing for 2,000 years since. This is what tonight is all about. Listen again to the colic that Father Scott prayed a few moments ago. O oh God, you made this most holy night to shine with the glory of the Lord's resurrection. Stir up in your church that spirit of adoption which is given to us in baptism, that we, being renewed in both body and mind, may worship you in sincerity and truth through Jesus Christ our Lord. The occasion of tonight's service is the resurrection of Jesus, and the outworking of his resurrection is the making of Christians through the sacrament of holy baptism. Now, St. Paul expresses this idea, joining baptism to the resurrection of Jesus, in our New Testament reading tonight. 
In it, he claimed, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. With the death and resurrection comes a new way of being human, newness of life. To those of you about to be baptized, that is what lies before you being human the way God created you to be all along. A new way of living in this world. So what do we do? Tonight, listen carefully to what is being prayed over the candidates for baptism and even the water that will be used. What we pray is what we believe. And what you'll notice is that the prayers tonight connect God's salvation of Noah and his family to baptism. The prayers connect God's salvation of Israel from Egypt and Pharaoh at the Red Sea to baptism. In short, you'll notice that we're praying for God to bring his saving work to those being baptized. Nothing less than that. And pray for those being baptized that they would sincerely endeavor to fully participate in the resurrection life of Jesus that they are united to in this ritual. Follow through in a few moments when you affirm that you will do all in your power to support these persons in their life in Christ. It takes the whole church. That charge to you is not there just for something nice to say or just for something for you to do. It matters that you pour into those who are coming into relationship with Christ. So do that. Remember that this is our mission. This is what we do. We make disciples and baptize. We make Christians. It takes nothing to turn on the news, to open a newspaper if you still get those things, to open your laptop or scroll on your phone and find every reason to get cynical and downcast and think that this world's going to hell in a handbasket. But God says something different. God says, my plan will succeed. That's what Isaiah said. Every word that comes out of my mouth. God has declared that he will redeem this world and make it new again. It's going to happen. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? This is our night. To proclaim, death has been defeated by death. Christ is our victor. What we will see in a few minutes, if it doesn't get you going, I don't have anything else for you. This is it. This is it. I'm sorry. The slides that you see tonight, my wife produces those as she's our communications director. We were going over them two days ago, 
and she was reading through the prayers to make sure all the wording is correct. And she stopped and she looked at me and she said, this has got to be your favorite sacrament. And I said, apart from Eucharist, it is. Because this is what it's all about. This is God's kingdom coming. This is his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. So trust in Christ. Believe in the power of his resurrection. Come to him as he calls you. Look forward to his glorious return. When on the day the great I am, the faithful and the true, the lamb who was for sinners slain is making all things new. Behold, our God shall live with us and be our steadfast light, and we shall err as people be. All glory be to Christ. All glory be to Christ our King. All glory be to Christ. His rule and reign will ever sing. All glory be to Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.